Hey, this is Henry. You're listening to the Skeptic Disciple Podcast, where we ask the difficult questions. Whether you're a skeptic, a disciple, or anywhere in between, we are glad that you're joining us here on this journey. We want to let you know that we are committed to Jesus, we are recipients of His grace, and we are continuing to seek ways of living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here we go! Hey friend, thanks for listening. This episode will build upon ideas and concepts that we discussed in our previous episode titled Crossing the Sea of Interpretation. So if you haven't listened to that one first, go ahead and do that now and then come back and listen to this one. Again, thanks for your support, your suggestions, your questions, uh, and overall for just being awesome. Thanks again. Okay, we're recording. We're back. And I feel like we left people off kind of uh, <laughs> on our last episode. I don't know how you would describe that, Brian. Um, with, maybe with m- more questions. <laughs> with the shattering of the faith. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I hope not. No. Um, I think I think with, uh, you know, I don't know how I would describe it. I liked it. It's definitely a, a line of thinking. I need to think about how I want to say this. Yeah, because I, mean, I, I want to remember exactly where we left off. And I think we left off with a question on my end. And I asked you, if the Bible is not meant to be seen as factual, why read it? Something along those lines. Yeah, I think that was a question that came up. And I think as we talk about things and as things develop, even as we're thinking about it, more questions come up. Why ascribe to something if, I mean, why ascribe to Christianity if the Bible is not uh, literal, factual? Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a great question. I think I think everyone should ask themselves that question if they're if they're thinking about this. I think it would be a natural progression of thought. But the truth of the matter is that no one I know takes the Bible completely literally. No one. No one takes it completely literal. I could ask the question: If you can't physically prove that God exists, then why believe in Him? And it'd be the same type of question. Sure. Right? It's the same yeah. thing. I mean, there is a certain level of faith that that is involved in believing in God because you can't just force God to prove himself to you or to anyone else to prove you right. However, we do tend to want to force the Bible to do that for us. Does the Bible play a part in your belief of God? Yeah, I mean I mean that's that's the main story of God and humanity. I mean, it does play a role in my belief in God. It does not prove that God exists to me though. Mm-hmm. I think that's different. I think there's a lot of people that'll say, "Yeah, the Bible proves that God is real and that my faith is real." Mm. And and I think that a lot of the kind of the <laughs> the difficulty with thinking of the Bible as non-literal, and when I say non-literal, I'm not talking about like the, the entire Bible is just not literal at all. Um, I'm just saying that thinking of it differently, of something that might have you know errors in it or mistakes from people who've been copying it, or that maybe God was mis- misrepresented in certain stories, doesn't mean to me that the Bible is false and thereby disproving that God exists. Hmm. You said a few things there that I want to touch on more. Okay. You, you, <laughs> okay. So is, is a Bible full of air? That, that seems kind of a biased way of asking the question. Is the Bible? Okay. Okay. Does the Bible is have error? Is there, is there error in it? Yeah, I mean, there's. I'm sure there is. I mean, anytime you've copied anything over and over again, you end up with errors in it, no matter how perfect it is. I mean, think about your computer systems. Like when you save things over and over and over and over again, 
like you end up getting errors in the files simply because the physical act of copying something completely identical over and over again yeah. is, is it deteriorates it. Now, are you insinuating there was a version without error? I'm insinuating that whatever the first version was written down would be considered the version without error in terms of like what's written down. But that that that's just like physical language being written and communicated. Sure, I get that. Then there's the question of did people misunderstand who God was and what God was like and how God treated people and why? And are there misunderstandings of God in the Bible? And that's, I think, another layer, right? Because we're no longer talking about whether Exodus said read sea or sea of reeds instead of red sea. We're talking about did God command these people to annihilate entire cities and villages, men, women, children, animals? Mm. Did God do that? Did God ask right. people to do that? Or did God or did people do that? And then ascribe it and to God saying, oh, God, you know, condoned this activity, this yeah. violence. Um, that's another layer. And that's, I think, a more important layer of thinking about the Bible because that does, does actually influence the way that you uh, act, uh, the way that you live out your faith. Um, because there's many people that would say, oh, well, God condoned this activity. So, you know, we're, we're fine doing it because, you know, for believers and God is on our side and who can be against us kind of thing, you know? Mm. So it can go, <laughs> it can go bad that way very easily. Um, and it has in many ways, it, it has gone down that way. Even some of the reformers like literally went to war over this like sword in hand. Um, so, so- so there are uh, okay so things being lost in translation seem obvious hard to disagree with yeah sure yeah but i mean when we when we start talking about not a translation issue but but an issue of of what what do you want to call it like testimony an issue of like the actual account being told like you're saying, okay, here are the Israelites and attempted genocide on their behalf. And in the book, they say, God told us to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're essentially saying, if I understand correctly, perhaps the Israelites got it wrong. Yeah. And it is up to us to be okay disagreeing with their story at that point. Correct. And I don't okay. know if I'm, I don't know if I've mentioned it earlier, but there is there seems to be no archaeological historical uh, evidence of a huge takeover like is written down in the account of Joshua and you know the books following Exodus. Like that they don't we haven't found anything that confirms that kind of takeover even. So you're talking about the Israelites invading the land of Canaan after correct. Okay. Like like all those stories about them invading and taking over and destroying entire cities and peoples. We don't have archaeological evidence of any of that. If anything, we have archaeological evidence of like a slow kind of um I don't want to call it a takeover. It like it just kind of seemed like slowly these people began living here and just kind of over many, many, many years kind of became the main inhabitants of that region. Settling and multiplying. Correct. It doesn't yeah. seem like there is this, like <laughs> the, the Old Testament uh, or the Hebrew Bible, however you want to call it, seems to describe a people who are very warlike and show up and are just like tearing people apart. Mm. Um, but in fact, archeologically that doesn't, that doesn't add up. So well, I was, 
I was talking to you earlier about it because even in the Bible, there's there's statements from Joshua talking about how he utterly destroyed and decimated like a people. And then two chapters later, like the people are there that he claims to have decimated. <laughs> like they're they're still there. They're still like in the story. Yeah. And it's like, wait, I thought I thought you said you utterly destroyed them. <laughs> well, I mean, we we don't we don't know what happened. And that's the thing. Like we do know that there is an archaeological evidence of this huge massive takeover and just destruction of people. Hmm. Um we don't have evidence for that. Now the Joshua encounter like opposition here and there, maybe he did, but I don't know that it was at at the level that is described. And so some people have mentioned, you know, some of this story could perhaps be, you know, the Hebrew people writing their history as they experience it and as they, as they believe it is happening, but not necessarily factual, like to the T, you know, like and that's, not- that's Accurate. not uncommon when it comes to history in general. I mean, most most cultures, most societies will do that. And, you know, it's, it's fine if we're simply talking about like a historic account, history book, like, okay, this nation kind of stretched this part or gloated here or left this out. But when it comes to scripture, we look at scripture as a completely different entity. So... If I, if I come to you and I tell you, hey, I'm really, really bothered by what you're saying right now because you're, you're taking huge chunks of the Old Testament and telling me that these people wrote it that way because of their own personal, whatever you want to call it, bias. Um, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. Um. Um, sorry. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? That's that's a great question, right? And that's that's I think where it 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 requires you to do some thinking, and some believing, and some uh, maybe research of your own. And what I'm saying is not that because there is no archaeological evidence that the Bible is completely. Like just it's just trash. We got to throw it out and mm. just not believe it at all. I think there is again a certain level of faith that comes in here. Um, <laughs> it's th- these are problematic stories, specifically because they describe a God who is violent against people who are not the Hebrews. It, it seems to contradict the story of God and Abraham where he wants to bless all peoples through him. So it also, it just, it just seems to contradict it. I mean, then we have the story of the flood where God regrets creating. Right. And, Hmm. and then we, we got to think, well, (laughs) what's going on here? You know, does God make mistakes? Does God change his mind? Is God not perfect? And like we draw these conclusions from the Bible and I just think sometimes it's a mistake because we think of these things this way because we were taught the Bible is completely accurate. It has no errors whatsoever. It is the infallible, everlasting word of God. Therefore, you must believe it. You can't disagree with it. You got to follow what it says, which is it's, it's problematic Number one, because the people that tell you the, these things don't actually believe it literally. You know, when it comes to like all the laws and regulations, we they make exceptions about everything. Not everything. Give me an they, example. They make exceptions give about me, a lot of things. I mean, we don't stone me. people for sinning or for being caught in sin or for being gay or for wearing clothes they shouldn't be wearing. We don't send them out of like the neighborhood if they like eat pork or if they do you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, I do. I do. Like, we don't live by the the, the rules of like pure and unclean um, that we're so like strict in in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and all of that. 
So we make exceptions regarding these things. So, you know, you're obviously not taking it literally. I have a question that I think would come up naturally with many Christians. If the Bible was divinely inspired, why would God allow it to be fallible? If. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of Christians believe, you know, it's divinely inspired. It's like God authored it, essentially. Uh Uh And he was also the editor and he's not going to allow something to be published if it doesn't meet his standards of truth. Okay, that's that's the argument a lot of Christians will pose to you. So then the question would be, why would he allow such a fallible thing to be published? I, I think the problem is our understanding of, of, of inspiration. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Like when God inspires someone to speaks to, to, to write something down, is God like possessing their minds and hands and no, directly writing what they're saying? Mm. Uh, no, he's not. Is God when is when God inspires someone? Is it like they are either praying or considering their situations and wondering, you know, what to do, and maybe God inspires them to move and do something and maybe write something that they felt in their hearts was inspired by God. In that sense, it's more like. It's less like me taking over your hand and writing what I want to write and more like I'm friends with you, Brian. And because I'm friends with you, like I might influence the way you think and do things and maybe whatever you write might be influenced by something I said. I think that's more of what's happening when you're inspired by God to do something out of the ordinary, maybe write something down. Um, there are instances, for example, some of the prophets where they actually do have these visions and they hear God saying something and God says, write this down. In that case, it's very like explicit that God is dictating these things, sure. you know, but yeah, I was going to ask you about that, That's good. but not, not everybody is writing things because God is dictating it to them. Mm. Like they're, they're not. Most of them are not, and most of them will say, "Well, no, I, I didn't." You know, I don't think even Paul would say, "Like, yeah, I wrote down what Jesus said." No, I don't think he ever did. I think he just wrote, not realizing it was going to end up being scripture. Right, and the problem with claiming direct inspiration that way is that then nobody can argue with you. Hmm. It's like, and and you'll notice this in in you know cult like um, <laughs> activity or, or leaders that they'll say God told me this and therefore it is true. Yeah. And you can't argue with me because God said this and God is infallible. Which I do believe God is infallible. I believe that. But I don't believe that God dictates things to people all the time. I just don't think that's the way he mm works in mm. fact here's here's the thing the, the really interesting thing for christians is that we have all these prophets in in the hebrew bible like a lot of prophets they come and they try to convince people about who god is what his character is like you know to fight for justice and and do right and you know and follow god with all their hearts and <laughs> no one listens and finally god's like i'm just gonna send myself through this person of Jesus Christ and he comes and he teaches people and, and, and no one really gets it. I mean, there's a few people who understand it, but like God literally comes down and teaches himself. So, you know, I think it's important to listen and to look closely at these, these, these prophets specifically and what their message is but also to understand the story through Jesus, who is literally this God who comes down, becomes human and tries to teach us himself because he's like, you guys just don't get it when I send other people. Like you, you murder them or you ignore them 
or you're just like, you just don't care. It, it just, it just doesn't work that way. Like I just, mm. I, apparently I can't get my message across to you guys, no matter what I do, no matter the fact that I've given you the Torah and all of these rules and, and all these things that I've told you to do and you're not doing, or, or all of these things that, that you should be as my people, but you're not, you're not totally getting it. And I know this is totally a Christian perspective. This is not a Jewish perspective. And I think they might take offense to that, but as a Christian saying and believing that, like I really do believe that Jesus was or is God in flesh and he came to try to teach us the right way. He tried to show us who God truly was and to establish the kingdom of, of, of God, which was announced from the very beginning with Abraham. He's like, you know, I'm going to make you in a great nation and you're going to be a blessing to all peoples. So it's like, you know, Jesus comes and, and he's completely nonviolent. He's the complete opposite. He does announce a judgment day or a judgment that will come at the, you know, at the end of time. But Jesus himself does not come judging people and slaying people. And you know what I mean? He comes, Mm. he comes offering this, this almost reckless type of grace and love that doesn't care for necessarily for the religion of the time or for any of the social norms of the time. Like he's just like breaking rules left and right. Like Jesus is not someone that religious people like necessarily like that. They're, they're a little confused by him. Yeah. Most of them are upset with him and people hate him. Um, mm-hmm. that, we, we kind of get three reactions. There's people that absolutely love Jesus. There's people who are completely like, it, it doesn't matter. He's relevant. And then there's that, like the hatred towards him. Mm-hmm. Because he just makes him uncomfortable. Because he contradicts things that the scriptures say sometimes. He acts in ways that don't doesn't reflect the God that is violent and takes over and yeah. people out of their and, and establishes an earthly kingdom. Yeah, they're uncomfortable with the nonviolence. It's almost funny. Well, yeah. I mean <laughs> for people that let's let's say you know, they have this story of Joshua and everybody and taking over and annihilating people. They themselves are under an oppressive Roman rule or occupation. And it's like, yeah, growing up with those stories, you expect that when the Messiah shows up, he's going to come slaying people and killing people left and right and reestablishing the earthly kingdom of Israel. That's what they're expecting. It makes sense. Jesus comes and completely contradicts that. He's like, no, that's not, that's, that's not the way of the kingdom. He tells mm-hmm. Peter, you know, don't pull out your sword, you know? Yeah. <laughs> when he cuts the guy's ear don't off. Call, when, don't call fire down. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, like he's, he's basically saying, if you, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And that's not the way of the kingdom. The biggest thing is in that story, Jesus says, don't you know that I can call a legion of angels down and they'd come down here and defend me. He can do that. He has the power to do that authority to do it but he doesn't do it because he's he's because <laughs> it, it just doesn't it doesn't work that way it, it it contradicts everything that jesus came to teach us about so that's what i think gets people uh and sometimes maybe confuses them but i think it's a good confusion because it's leading you to truth and jesus himself says i am the way the truth and the life um, and for many of us, unknowingly, we've made the way, the truth, and life, the Bible, and not Jesus. Interestingly, we, you know, this is this is interesting because I've actually been working on something for this weekend. But uh, all of the Gospels, I think, I'm pretty sure all the Gospels mention John the Baptist at the very beginning. You know, yeah. John John the Baptist is out there. He's like preaching out in the wilderness by the Jordan river. He's baptizing people and they all mention him. Interestingly, John the Baptist is very like, he's on fire. He's like, he's like old school type of prophet. And he's just says what's on his mind. And he's telling people to repent 
to turn their way, like turn around and basically be better and, and preparing the way for the Messiah. He knows he's preparing the way for the Messiah. He sent them to repent. They uh-huh. baptize. A baptism back in those days was more of a, a, a religious like washing ritual. And that happened in the temple. Like if you were unclean, you would go to these like baths, you'd go in the water, come out, and then you were clean. And so you can like go in and worship in the temple. It was like a physical like cleansing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John the Baptist makes it more like, this isn't just like, oh, you're ritually unclean. This is like you yourself, like your mind, heart, everything. You're not in the right place. So baptism is a symbol of you repenting and turning around from your ways and being a better person and preparing yourself for this coming of the Messiah. He doesn't really know what it means. I don't think fully what it means that the Messiah was coming. All he knew is he's coming. He needs to be the way needs to be prepared for this to happen. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Jesus shows up. And immediately John the Baptist recognizes him and he's like, this is, this is the land that takes the sin out, sin of the world, right? It cleans, cleanses us from our sin. Like, this is the one I've been talking about. This is the one that I myself, I am so unworthy compared to him that I can't even like take his shoes off. Okay. I can't even serve him. That's how unworthy I am compared to him. All right. He has, he has a, a crowd of followers. People follow John the Baptist, you know, cause they're, He's out there and he, he's doing his work and he's committed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interestingly, John the Baptist is not preaching in the synagogue. He's not in the temple, right? He's, he's off on his own because he's different in what he's, he's preaching about. This is different. Jesus shows up and only two of John the, John the Baptist's followers become Jesus's followers. Like, only two. Hmm. I think that's really telling of the way that we somehow get so attached to a teacher, a specific teacher, a specific preacher, a specific church, a specific belief. Somehow we do this with the Bible as well, where we believe the Bible is, is honestly like it, it, it's, it's it's unique and it's holy mm-hmm. and, and it's message about God and about redemption and about grace and love and even about Jesus. But I think that many times we tend to do what John's followers did, where even when Jesus shows up, they fail to follow Jesus. Yeah. They're like, this was the guy that John the Baptist was talking about this entire time. This is the reason why he was preparing us the entire time. Mm-hmm. And only two of them decide to follow Jesus. Like literally only two. So what that tells me is you all missed the message. Like you completely missed the point. And I, I myself, <laughs> I think I've gone through a, a, a process where I've realized at one point I completely missed the point and I followed the Bible. And the Bible was my God. And the Bible was the infallible word of God completely. But now I'm realizing who Jesus is and what Jesus claims to be. And I'm realizing the Bible is more of John the Baptist in my situation. And will I follow Jesus and his teachings and what he's doing rather than sticking with what I've always known or thought or believed? Because it seems like Jesus is pushing us, like he's really pushing us to live differently. And and living, by definition, requires you to move into the unknown by like moving into the future. Um, because each day brings something new. And the Bible is the story of the past, like what happened to get us here. Yeah. But now, now we got to like really, okay, the Bible was your training ground. Now, real life is following Jesus. And Jesus does contradict kind of these, these characteristics of God that maybe were believed up until then. But he doesn't necessarily like say like the Bible is false or 
the Bible is fallible. He's not talking about the things that we're talking about. Because even in Jesus' time, the Hebrew Bible wasn't completely like taken as, you know, uh, Genesis through, what is it, Micah? Right. Malachi? Right. The, uh-huh. the, the Bible at Jesus' time was mostly the Torah. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, you know, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, I got them all out of order. But you know what I mean? The mm-hmm. five the five books and then the Psalms were also talked about and some of the prophets. Jesus didn't have a Bible. Jesus had had scriptures known as the Torah, the Psalms and the prophets. So there are Psalms and the, write, the writings and the prophets, prophets and writings. Jesus mentions this sometimes. He's talking about prophets and Psalms. And then the rest of the stuff was kind of more like literature, like historical stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Jesus' time, the the Pharisees believed that Scripture included the Torah, the Psalms, the prophets, and and some of these other writings, like the Book of uh, like the Chronicles and Kings and all of those. Okay, mm-hmm. the Sadducees believed that the Scriptures were only the Torah, the first five books. They rejected everything else. So at Jesus' time, we don't have a concrete like Bible. He's talking about the law and about the prophets and the writings. So he doesn't have this problem. There isn't this, this solidification of like, people need this to be concrete. Yeah. The Sadducees had begun to feel that way. And so they're like only the first five books, everything else is additional. We can't, it's not, it's not scriptural. We can't do that. At one point, at some point we, took all the books and we said, these are holy and God inspired. And we did something called canonization, which it became a canon unchanging. Mm-hmm. We cannot change this thing because it's mm-hmm. holy. We cannot add to it. We cannot take away from it. You and I live in a world in a Christian world where we have this canon, which includes the old and the new Testament. And we cannot add to it. We cannot remove from it. But even within Christian denominations of different, you know, different belief systems. We have additional books in the Bible, but Protestants have decided only the Old and New Testament, get rid of all the apocryphal books, all these other books that have, that are not, uh, basically not sanctioned by our church and belief. So we have the Bible that we have. So I think, I think the Bible has, was a, a changing thing. It was it was not static even at Jesus's time. So Jesus is not so much working against this belief, but rather Jesus is saying, "Look, the law teaches you these things. Let me teach you more." Hmm. You know, like it, and Jesus says a lot of times. You know, you've heard it said this, but yeah, I. Yeah you this it's like jesus expanding upon what you already know like you've believed this this whole time but let me tell you more and jesus really is that expansion of understanding of god and and the whole thing was i am teaching you directly god is literally teaching you and me about these things that are like important they are they're incredibly important to be the kinds of humans that God created us to be. And I think that when we fail to see that, then we actually fail to be those humans that God created us to be. And we become something else. We become religious people. I do mm. believe that God in Jesus was literally shattering religion. This, this rigid belief that it's the way it's written and nothing else can change it. And that's, that's, that's all there is. And, and we become the type of people that idolize the scriptures and we worship it in action rather than worshiping the God who had through all these generations been inspiring writings, been pushing us to better understand who he was, better understand his plan, better understand what it meant to be truly human and live in this kingdom that God was wanting to establish this whole time. That's the problem, I think, with this rigid belief that if the Bible says it, that's it. That's good enough for me. Like one of my one of my least favorite 
uh, songs that I learned in church. I don't know if you ever heard it. It's okay. called, uh, Give Me That Old Time Religion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give Me That Old Time yeah. Religion. Uh-huh. You know, it was good enough for Daniel and it's good enough for me. Like, mm-hmm. I've come to, like, just hate, hate that song. Not, not <laughs> just because, not because it doesn't, not because, you know, these, these people, like, were wrong. You know, not because, yeah, I like, get you. Mm-hmm. not because Daniel was like, you know, a horrible person or anything like that. It's just like, think about the concept. It's like, don't give me anything new. Like mm. I, I'm, I don't, I don't want to be challenged in what I believe in or the way I, I live it. I just want things to be a certain way. So I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it because it's good enough for me. Mm. Yeah. Anytime I feel like there's a pushback when we start thinking about things a little bit more progressively that we're somehow leaving the faith and it's, it's going to be all bad. Um, and it's, it's not. I think Jesus, in a way, pushed his disciples to think past their religion, especially when he said, you know, <laughs> when he starts talking to Samaritans and when he starts talking to Gentiles and he starts doing things for them and healing them, like he's leading them into an area that they are very uncomfortable with because their religion was the actual excuse for them not having to care about these people. Right. Jesus is pushing, pushing and pushing and he doesn't stop. And then Paul comes and he's like, I'm going to go to Rome. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Spain. He doesn't ever get there, but like he understands this is not for just me. This is for everybody. And that's a revolutionary thought that, that, that was something that broke people. Mm. Many people, when Paul went and preached at the synagogues, that's the thing that broke them. They were like, no, you're out of here. We're stoning you. And to a certain extent, I feel like, I feel like many Christians have become like that. Like, no, you're taking it too far. Get out of here. You don't belong. And, uh, and to a certain extent, who knows, maybe John the Baptist was one of those people who took it too far which is why, you know, why he's out in the wilderness, right? Like as, as, as long, as soon as you start uh, believing something that isn't sanctioned by your religious organization, you end up on your own, on the fringes. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, it is interesting that the people that are following and listening to John the Baptist are obviously hoping for something better they are also outside in the wilderness seeking God. Interestingly, the location where he's at is, is, is very telling. He's in the wilderness by the Jordan River, where it all began, where the people of Israel crossed into the promised land. Hmm. It's a reenacting of entering the promise that God had given them, going through the river, getting baptized, and then Jesus coming and, and he, Jesus also gets baptized as becoming part of that movement and then leading it himself. That is, <laughs> Jesus partakes in a baptism that is not religiously sanctioned. I just mm-hmm. want to put that there too. Like, Oh, that's good. Like, see, Jesus is doing a lot of things that, that don't make sense in his religious context. I, I just want people to understand that that is what Jesus is doing. And that sometimes us, sometimes we, by wanting to hold on to things so rigidly, we can miss Jesus when he's like in the midst of it. And I'm glad, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said all that because there's something telling about the people that followed John the Baptist, because obviously you're progressive enough to go into the wilderness and leave these other comforts behind and follow this man because you're in search of truth. And John the Baptist probably looks like a crazy man. He's a wild man. And you're wild enough to go be with him. And then Jesus shows up and it's telling because it's like, you know, yeah, that's just too wild. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, I'm willing to get down and dirty, but that, that was a step too far. (laughs) I think, I think it's natural to feel that way at some points. 
Um, part of the reason, though, I bring up following Jesus being difficult for John's men is also as progressive as we think we are. Like, because I'm sure it seems very progressive to follow John the Baptist. Like, it doesn't mean there isn't another level. Like, it doesn't mean you can't be hit over the head by Jesus Christ at any point and just feel like, what is being asked of me? Am I actually, am I actually ready to give up? Even, even these things that I thought were like so progressive and awesome, this like basically religion they've established with John, this, this culture, this like, because I'm sure they felt like family, you know? You're out together and you're bonded and you're in the wilderness and you're looking for God. And then God shows up and he says, leave it. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a really interesting situation. I always wondered, you know, what happened to John after Jesus showed up and, you know, like, cause his job was basically over, you know? Yeah. Does he become just basically non-essential? Yeah. But so interestingly, you know, some people do stick around with John. Well, I guess most of people stick around with John mm-hmm. and, and then later on, we hear about John's disciples, you know, casting out demons and, and healing people and, and doing stuff in Christ's name. So, yeah. I mean, eventually, it seems like they they understand the message, but they're not necessarily following Jesus. And the disciples are like, well, you know, these people are doing this and, you know, I don't think they should be. And Jesus is like, well, you know, don't stop them. Like, they're doing the work I came here to do as well so mm, mm. like it's okay you know they're they're preaching the message they're preaching the the gospel and and they're doing what they must be doing and they're they're doing what i'm teaching you to do um but the difference is jesus is god in the flesh and yeah, john source john yeah. is not jesus uh-huh. is the source um, interestingly, even today, there are still people who, you know, follow the teachings of John the Baptist and not Jesus. Mm. Although there are, you know, they're very you know, almost unheard of, but they they do still hold on to those things. Um, you know, and interestingly, I, you know, I don't know. I'd ask Jesus, like, what do you think about that? And maybe he'd say, you know, well, they're preaching the message and they 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 get it, so. It's fine. Let them do what they're doing. You can just be concerned about whether you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, whether yeah. you're actually doing it. My, my, I think when I look at John the Baptist and the way that all that, all that, all that stuff turned out and Jesus shows up. And I, I think the challenge is really, can I see Jesus for who he truly is? Hmm. And beyond that, can I, or am I truly able to follow him? Am I truly following him? Or am I just following, you know, another teacher, another religion, a church, or a philosophy? And it's I think that's, that's where things can get mm. things get messy because Jesus and God is a person. And when it comes to the Bible, I take it seriously, but I don't <laughs> I don't always take it absolutely literally um, because. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of Christians where it's like, you know, they'll say my way of knowing Jesus is knowing the Bible. Like the more I know my Bible, the more I know Jesus and what he wants. Yeah. And I'll ask them like, what do you do with like the genocide? You know? Yeah. Once they get into the land of Canaan and they start killing babies and doing their crazy stuff like what do you do with that like yeah what is that so what does that tell you about jesus and they're usually people that do believe um god commanded the genocide and then they lose me because i'm like okay so you willingly want to follow someone that commands genocide and also preaches love and i personally don't know how to I don't, come to t- <laughs> like I, I don't know how to do what you're doing right now. How do you reconcile those things? I don't, I don't know how, if you're talking about this person, like 
and this person is displaying the side of them that's has like everlasting love and also wants genocide like tell me how this person makes sense to you you know and i don't that's that's where we get lost yeah and i think that's where the whole literal thing loses me because i'm like if i were reading the whole thing literal and really thought he was commanding genocide like why i wouldn't want a friend like that just saying it um, kind of it kind of sounds like god begins to sound a lot like the other gods of the land yeah and less like god's self and then jesus shows up and he's like no that's not how you do things there's a there's another way it's my way it, yet it's not easy because it's like almost like counter everything that you know and feel and believe about mm. the way things should be which which is why the, the 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 message and the concept of the kingdom of god is so offensive because it's like the last shall be first the poor are blessed you know mm. the unclean are welcomed into the presence of god uh that is that's a that's a big that's a big deal Mm. And one thing is to say it or to hear it said. It's another thing to see it happen. Because for a lot of us, I think we'd be like, yeah, I totally agree with that. And then it happens. And then you're like, what the yeah. heck is happening right now? I'm totally yeah. not for this. It's not what I meant. Because a lot of us believe things, you know, how do I say it? Superficially? <laughs> uh, I don't know how, how else to say it. Just, you know, we say we believe things, but we really don't. It, well, it's, it it's kind of like virtue, time. it's kind of like virtue signaling, right? Where it's like, you go on social media and you post a lot about poverty and environmental issues and just, just a bunch of stuff that like makes you, <laughs> makes you look like a good person, you know? Like that, That's the thing. Yeah. I think that's the thing that Jesus does. When I read Jesus, I'm like, yeah, I totally believe Jesus. Like, I, this is totally my thing, man. Like Jesus, you're my man. And then... Like, I really read him and I'm like, oh man, like, ah, uh, I got to get my act together. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not actually living these things. No, I know. Most, and, most of the time, honestly, like I could read my Bible and think like, man, you Israelites, you guys are dumb. Like you guys are stupid. Like God's yeah. so good to you and you guys keep messing up. I'm like, oh man, you guys, you guys are dumb. It's like. If I'm really honest, like when I really, like really deep dive into who Jesus is and what he does for me, like my most, my most logical conclusion is like, dude, I'm, I'm a piece of shit. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like I, I say, I know a lot about what's right and what's progressive and what's good and ask me how much of it I'm doing on a daily basis. And like what, and, and even when I do quote unquote good things, like how much of it am I doing out of love? Like genuine, like love, like am I, Yeah. do I actually, do I actually love doing this? Yeah, I think. Do I wanna, yeah, do I want my life to be about this? Do I wanna be part of this kingdom? I think the only good type of progressiveness is a type that, forces you to look at yourself and like not so much question your beliefs as much as question your actions my motives yeah yeah whether you do what you say you believe or if you just say it because you think it's right and it's interesting i mean this idea that like oh they screwed up they just didn't get it right it basically is the root of anti-semitism this mm. whole like you you guys screwed up you lost your place you're not you know you're not God's people anymore, um, but it's also it's very easy to do as someone that maybe looks at the things that I've believed in the past and say oh you guys don't get it like you who are like holding on to these things that I've kind of let go of you just don't get it and I think I have to be careful with that too 
Like I have to understand like people are at different stages of their faith journey. There are different stages of being challenged by Jesus. Um, and that's fine. As long as people continue to encounter Jesus in a way that is challenging to them. Because again, the moment that Jesus becomes comfortable to you is the moment I think that you need to rethink how you're understanding him. Jesus is what's matter. What matters here? Jesus is what like will. That's that's who it's all about as a Christian. Is this belief that Christ is God in the flesh that arrived to Earth to teach us Himself who God is and what the kingdom is? The gospel that Jesus comes preaching about is the the, the arrival of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, however you want to call it. That is the gospel. Okay. Like a lot of us, we think the gospel is like Jesus died for your sins and then you can go to heaven. Jesus is not preaching that because he's alive. He hasn't been crucified yet. Like his gospel, the gospel of Jesus is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven has come near you. This is why you're seeing all these things change. This is why you're seeing people be healed. This is why you're seeing the poor be blessed. This is why you're seeing people be welcomed into the kingdom who are generally despised. That is the kingdom. That is good news. I'm feeding the hungry, right? I'm, I'm touching the untouchables. I'm lifting up the, the, the small ones. Like he even says, you know, if you need to be like a child, um, mm-hmm. he's flipping everything upside down. That is, that is the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And and the good news that 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 the disciples go on and preach about is that Jesus is God, and He came here to establish the kingdom of God, the reign of God, which flips everything upside down. Which is why Christians weren't necessarily like liked by everybody, specifically by people in power, and mm-hmm. specifically by people in authority, in positions of authority, in religious and government institutions. Like they did not like. Jesus, plain and simple. So I think that first of all, we have to think, we have to really understand Jesus and we really have to understand what the gospel means. That's really important. And I believe that if Jesus is God and Jesus is free to contradict things that maybe were written about God in the past or maybe are Mm. thought about God right now. Mm. Because that's God himself. Mm, God's self can do that. The Bible cannot. That's good. There is, um, have I, I think I've mentioned this to you. There is an atheist argument that if you went around the entire earth right now and destroyed, I think I told you this, yeah, destroyed every science and math text that exists and destroyed every religious text that exists and you wait a thousand years and in those thousand years, you don't allow anyone to write down anything religious or scientific. After those thousand years, if you're allowed to write down religious texts and math and science, the math and science books would eventually all be replicated and replenished. Mm-hmm. The symbols might look different. The language, you know, there might be different titles for different things, but it would essentially be the same. But all the religious texts would be vastly different. Not one would be replicated in exactly the same way. Yeah. That's an atheist argument when they want to argue about truth mm-hmm. and they want to argue this is why the Bible is BS. Mm-hmm. Because math and science, they're factual. Yeah. 
you will find evidence for them in nature and you will replicate them no matter how much you suppress them. Mm -hmm. But religious texts, you'll never replicate it the same way. That's the argument. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's meant to kind of throw religious people off and really bother them. Yeah. And really shake them. And it usually does. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing that a long time ago and it shook me a little because I thought about it and I was like, well, yeah. Um, but I don't want to admit that. Yeah. <laughs> and now I heard it again recently and I thought, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with that argument. Exactly. And I, and I was like, Oh, but this time I don't, it doesn't bother me because I no longer see the Bible as this thing that doesn't change or cannot change. Or I think that some atheist arguments also fall <laughs> into this their their downfall is believing that the bible has to be literal see they subscribe but they only got that belief from certain christians right that have told them the bible is literal yeah see so and obviously they, yeah it makes sense to say well then you know to come up with that argument but my response to the argument would be like if God hadn't come, I, I, I don't know if I should say this at all, but like God could have come into any religion mm. and shattered it completely mm -hmm. and begin this movement of the kingdom of God anywhere. Absolutely. He chose the lineage of Abraham and his people to do that through, mm. but he didn't have to. He could have easily... Christianity could have easily been born in Asia, could have easily been born anywhere else in Africa. Like the thing is God's self-revelation is what this is about. And God's ultimate self-revelation is in Jesus Christ. Mm, yeah. We're taking pride in the wrong things. God was working within the framework of the Hebrew religion because he had been with them throughout this entire time. And he came as one of them to bless all of us. Could have easily done that anywhere else. There's nothing impossible about that. Hmm. Like, I don't have a problem with that. Because again, I'm saying what matters is the ultimate self-revelation of God through Jesus. That, that thing about God becoming human. The thing that we, in the Christian world, we call the advent or now we call you know christmas that's the that's the thing that's what that's the 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 celebration that's the whole thing god arrives as one of us into the world mm. and experiences everything we experience all all of it and he comes and he teaches us about this kingdom of heaven he teaches us about who god truly is and he says, follow me, do what I'm doing, flip the world upside down. That's what matters. That's it. Like Jesus begins saving the moment he's, he's begins his ministry and, and he's like literally saving people, whether it's from hunger or from thirst or from their dis diseases, he's literally raising the dead. He's literally saving people. He's, he's literal good news. He's bread to the hungry. He's water to the thirsty, right? He says, I am the water of life. I am the bread of life. Like that's what Jesus is doing here on earth. And then he says to his disciples, you're going to do the same things I did or even greater things than I did. So as followers, we are called to, to do and follow and act and live in this kingdom of heaven on earth. Like Jesus envisions the kingdom of heaven or God enveloping the earth. That is the beginning of this kingdom, which we believe like culminates in Jesus' second coming. But it's already here. It's already beginning. If you're not part of it, what are you doing? That's good. I think most of us still talk about the kingdom of it as if it's this alien thing that you know, has, has yet to arrive. Yeah. But from the very beginning, God has always said the kingdom is going to be on earth. 
the whole time. Even when you read Revelation, yeah, there's a period where people are taken to heaven and then guess what? They come back to earth and there's a new earth. Everything is made new and good. Um, the whole point is not about us escaping earth. It's about renewing what we have here mm-hmm. into its original purpose. It's about mm-hmm. ourselves becoming the humans that God intended us to be when God created us in his image or in God's image, both male and female. Mm-hmm. That's good. And so on and so forth. That's what it's about. So like, and that's the thing that I find is the most common misconception of Christianity and of the gospel, even amongst like lifelong Christians. I it's not, right. it's not about going to heaven guys. Yeah. It, like, sure. That's in there, but it's not, that's not the point. That's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is the kingdom of heaven is here now. Yeah. Begin living this new life that, that I've given you basically. Like Jesus says, like, you know, I came to give you life, the fullness of life. And to have eternal life is to know God. Like he makes some pretty wild statements. He says things like there's, <laughs> there's some here among you who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of heaven arrive. That, that statement always messed me up in the past. Now I see it. Now I'm like, yeah, he's talking about a kingdom that is here now. And he's talking about the kingdom that you are able to see if you have the spiritual eyes to see him. Hmm. It's happening here now. There's some among you who won't die before they see it. Like you'll see it in your own lifetime happening. It's happening now. It's been happening for 2000 years. The tragedy is that the, the main, I want to say the main stream of church, I think has always missed it. Hmm. We've gone back to this religion rather than this, this, this practice. And the book of James is really good at saying, you know, true religion is this. And he, he mentions actions like, yeah, like that. caring for the widows and the orphans and the, you know, the down, the downtrodden and the oppressed and all of these things. Like that's true religion, all this other stuff that's human. So do live out what you believe. Don't just say you believe it and deceive yourselves. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think truly seeing the kingdom of heaven is not an act of faith. Like, really. Say it again. <laughs> I believe that seeing the kingdom of heaven. Oh, seeing, yes. I thought you said is, saying. No, is, seeing. Is, not, is not an act of faith. No. It's, an, it's a physical act of you doing yeah. something. And it's, it's really about like, the beauty is there if you want to engage it. Yeah. Yeah. So don't miss out. It's an invitation to follow Jesus. Like it's a literal invitation to you right now, today, where you're at, like, follow me, follow my way. I am the way I am the truth. I am the life. You know, that is real. It's not in the future somewhere. It's not some made up story. It's not some rules and regulations. Someone, some old, like old way of thinking has, has set upon you. It's an actual literal invitation to be part of this kingdom of heaven. And you have the option to do that if you're willing, which is tragic for some people in the Bible, like the rich young ruler, for example. And, and again, I mean, we have to talk more about the kingdom. We've, only started talking about the kingdom. <laughs> yeah, I think we just I mean, got really is, excited talking about the kingdom. But yes, what does it really entail? Like, what are the what are the details, the intricacies? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like, and we'll. I think there's a lot of time to get. Well, to that. we'll get there. We'll get there. But I think this is yeah. a this is a good start. Anyway, I'm I'm gonna have to end here because uh, I think uh, Zoe's out. <laughs> okay. music by scott holmes music that track was titled we were dreamers that's royalty free music i just want to give a quick shout out to tim from the coffee theology and jesus podcast if you guys haven't listened to them go ahead and check them out uh they've got some good stuff anyway uh have a great day adios 
Hey, thanks for listening. Just a quick reminder that we're on Instagram as Skeptic Disciple. We're also on Twitter as Disciple Skeptic. Our messages are open uh, for any suggestions or questions. If you just want to say hello, that is awesome. Uh, we post things periodically on those two platforms. Uh, just another quick reminder to give us a rating on whichever app you're listening to. Yeah, just have a great week. Merry Christmas. Stay healthy, wear your masks, and adios.